Are you ready for this? Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. I'm Corey. I'm Logan. And we are here to go on the journey of life and leadership growth with you. Welcome to the Principles Podcast. Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. Hey, we are excited. We've got another awesome guest with us today. Uh, highly recommended. If you've watched our previous episode with Cody Crane, he had a gentleman that he was very high on. Said that we've got to we've got to get on here. Very high energy, but also not only that, um, not just charismatic, but he's somebody who's done something. He's done a lot of things and making a great impact. And uh, I'm looking forward to jumping in and learning more about Roy and uh, hear his story. So, Roy, welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. Good morning, guys. I am so grateful to be here with you. Thank you for that flattering invitation. I'm humbly confident I can live up to that during our time together today. If I may, I'd like to just take one minute and tell you a little bit about myself. Yeah. I am the owner of an engineering company in New Orleans. I've been that owner for 28 years. I have been practicing civil engineering for 36 years total. It's the best business in the world. It's a very difficult business to explain to people because most people don't know what engineers really do. And when they find out what we really, really do, they think it's boring. But I can tell you as someone that designs buildings, bridges, and other things that are very useful in our lives, it's so gratifying to watch something come out of the ground that came out of your head and to know that you're building something that's useful to society. So I, I consider engineers to be unsung heroes from what we do to better the world in a very rudimentary way. The word civil comes from Latin. It means people. Anyway, my business is a wonderful part of my life. I always tell people when they ask me what my job is, my job first and foremost is to be a father. I have two daughters that are grown women. I still consider myself to be a hands-on father. And while we talk about leadership today, what you're going to understand, in order to be an effective leader, I believe you have to be committed to personal growth. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is really simple. Kids cannot choose their parents. They get who they get. Therefore, it's incumbent on us as individuals to always grow to be a good example for our children. And as children mature, it's our responsibility as parents to continue to grow emotionally, financially, spiritually, intellectually, so that we can always provide a very loving and natural parental child relationship through emotional growth. And that transcends directly into being a leader because I have 11 employees, all of whom I love like my own children. I care about them personally and professionally. In order for me to be an effective leader, I have to continue to grow in my business life, which echoes directly into my personal growth. They're tied together, especially with men, because men derive their identities from work. God wired us that way. So it's a beautiful thing when you can recognize that. And then where there's growth, there's pain. And, you know, people amaze me sometimes because I used to subscribe to this that I'm about ready to tell you until I committed to growth. People are always looking to avoid pain in life. That's impossible. 
There is no escaping pain. You're going to pick the pain of growth or you're going to pick the pain of stagnation. Growth comes with rewards that are very difficult to quantify, but they're very apparent as to how your life continues to blossom. When you choose not to grow, you live with internal stress and strife your entire life, and you're basically waiting to die, which unfortunately, in my experience, most people do. They shy away from the pain of growth. If they didn't, we'd have a lot of leaders in the world, but we don't because leaders run toward that fire. We don't run away from it. So with all of that said, I wrote a book, and my book is about my journey through life, raising my children while trying to raise myself because I came from a very upset childhood, which most people do. They just don't realize it. And the problem when you come from an upset or dysfunctional childhood, you end up passing it on to the next generation. And there's reasons for that that I describe in my book. Well, I chose the path to break that failure chain. And that path came with a lot of pain of growth. And that pain of growth produced two incredible women that I'm privileged to call my kids. So when I figured out how well my kids turned out, the ending of my book was written. So all I had to do at that point was go back and create the book. And the book echoes the values that we're going to talk about today, or you potentially would ask me about today. Yeah, man, that, you know what, Roy, I can hear the passion in your voice. I also hear the confidence. I think this is going to be really good. I, I, man, uh, Logan, I hope you got a while. I feel like we could talk about leadership forever, ever, because I, on the same page with Roy on that one, man. Yeah, we, we could go, we could chase a whole lot of rabbits uh, <laughs> on that conversation. Uh, I love, uh, I love what you said and kind of in the, towards the end there about pretty much everybody we know uh, is, is going to die. So we all have <laughs> yeah. a terminal condition. We don't know when that is. Um, I just finished a book by Tim Grover called Winning. Um, he was the trainer for Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And he said, Kobe always said, don't rest in the middle, rest at the end. Uh, he didn't know when his finish line was, but he didn't take breaks. Um, and, and I love that commitment to growth uh, and development. Um, I, I'm in the same boat as, as you, Roy, uh, came from a broken home uh, I think a lot of people focus on that and, and emulate those behaviors and let them become generated <coughs> versus focusing on uh, what we want to become. Well, and Logan, to your point, there are, there are reasons that people focus on the pain of their existence. And it all boils down to how the brain is physically wired and how those messages get sent from different parts of the brain and it's a very interesting subject, and I'll, I'll dovetail it with this to both of you. I'm 57 years old. I have an internist. I have a lawyer. I have a CPA. I have a mechanic. I have a mechanic for my airplane. I have a massage therapist. I also have a therapist. All of these people are on speed dial. Now, how many people do you know have a therapist on speed dial? Most people don't. For the most important part of our being, our brains and our hearts, 
is the most neglected part of our growth. And you say, well, that's really counterintuitive. If I said to both of you, I don't know if y'all are married or have kids or, or, or what your story is, but if you had children, you would say to me, oh, the kids are the most important thing to me because they're innocent in the world. But how many people ever really take the time to see what their children really need? Because our brain actually sends signals telling us that we're okay, everybody else has a problem. And that's a whole discussion that I go into in my book. Well, it's those very thought processes that prevent us from being leaders because we get caught up in our own internal turmoil, which 99% of the time is a product of our upbringing. It's all in my book. I can't tell you everything or you won't buy the book. So <laughs> you should just read it out loud to us, Roy. I know. I totally agree with that. And I think it kind of goes back to it's really interesting the things that we will spend our time and money on. Um, <clears throat> so many people are hesitant to carve out that money to hire a coach or spend money on a $20 book or spend their time on. <laughs> or whatever it may be, uh, when the return on investment for those things is just, uh, in cases I've seen, is just infinite. Uh, you can't even quantify it like you talked about earlier. Um, so it's just, it's interesting where we want to spend our money. Uh, I think as a society, we're pretty, uh, we're pretty good at treating acute and we're really bad at treating chronic. We wait till yep. things are bad. And then we go to the doctor versus just cleaning up the diet. And that applies in financial health. It applies in spiritual health. It applies in mental health. Um, yeah. If we crack the code on how to, how to, how to fix that, we'd be in a little bit better shape, wouldn't we? Oh, absolutely. Well, the code, the, the, the codes cracked on how to fix it. It's just the implementation of that. If you look at our leadership in this country right now, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's really the direction this country's going is horrible when you look at the lack of leadership. And that, you know, those values that people like that put out in society, those are deeply rooted in their brains. That is not anything that's superficial. So quack, quack, cracking that is going to be very, it's very difficult because you're basically fighting good and evil, basically. Yeah, that's what I believe. You're fighting good and evil. <clears throat> well, and that you're fighting good and evil, and also you're. It's very difficult to tie long-term outcomes to short-term actions. Uh, and the the better that we are at doing that, and, and the late gratification, the better results that we can get. Uh, yeah, I agree. Ultimately, we are addicted to short-term outcomes. Absolutely. Because, you know, what happens, and I talk about this in my book, every time you get a short-term outcome or some instant gratification, your brain drops a little shot of dopamine. And that's that feel-good drug that's very addictive. And under certain circumstances, dopamine can be a wonderful thing. But when it hits those pleasure centers of the brain from an illicit act or something, then it that's where addiction comes from. And that's where all this stuff stems from, in my opinion. Look, I'm not a psychologist. I'm just a dumb old engineer. Okay. But you know, engineers are wonderful because we always look at things from a process and procedure standpoint. I'm also a commercial pilot. And those two professions go hand in hand when it comes to being attentive to detail and having things go on a process. And your brain is no different. 
So there are many ways to segue that into, into leadership, in my opinion, Corey and, and Logan, of how your brain is actually wired and what, what type of behavior that dictates and how that filters down to the people around you that are in your charge. And I've done a very good job in my life to become a great leader. I'm not perfect, but I know the things that make me a great leader. It's just a very few set of core values that just form who I am. Yeah. And I'm happy to discuss those if y'all want me to. <clears throat> I just want to say real quick, I know Logan's got another follow-up question to you. Roy, you have mentioned your book a couple of times. I want to uh, make sure we get that. What's the name of the book and where can people find it? The book is called No Trees in the Fairway. It's not about golf. And you can find it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It is very expensive. It's about ten dollars and something. It's not much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you can email me and I'll send you a copy. So I didn't make any money writing this book. It cost me a ton of money. Uh, writing a book is a very difficult thing to do because I'm a Type A and it requires us to sit down and focus, which is a pain in the ass. But I do it when I have to. Yeah, that's good. But I'm sure you've got a lot of personal growth from it. A lot of personal growth. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on a continued path of personal growth because I, I really, it's going to sound really corny. I really want to be a hero to my kids and they're grown women. And um, what happens with adults when their kids are raised, a lot of people just check out emotionally after they raise their kids and the, and the parents end up becoming the children and the children end up becoming the parents. I, I raised my mom, my dad, and my stepmom before they all died because they all checked out emotionally. I'm not going to do that to my kids. So I choose to grow instead, which makes me a better leader every day to the other people in my life. Yeah, I love that. Uh, there were a couple of follow-ups from, uh, from the core values you said that, that make you up. Uh, but what are those core values? But, but first, you had mentioned um, that you've been a very successful leader. How do you quantify your success as a leader? So that's a very good question. And <clears throat> the way I quantify my success is I look at the richness of the relationships in my life, number one. I don't have a lot of friends for two reasons. Number one, I'm mildly and opinionated, and that pisses people off, which makes me very happy. Number two, I choose to live what I call a very narrow life with a very uh, strict set of boundaries. So as it relates to my success, I look at what my children do with their time because they're grown women. Is it productive? Is it, is it giving back to the community? Is it enriched with a wholesome set of values? And the answer to that is yes. And then I look at my employees and how they're growing personally and professionally. And I see how they give back to me in certain ways. So the greatest meter of my success as a leader is watching the people around me and watching the way their lives are evolving in a positive way, knowing that I had some influence there. That is the, that's the best way I know to measure your own success as a leader is to look at the people around you because it is my job as a leader to serve them. Now that's counterintuitive to the world because the world's like, well, you're the owner of the company. They, they work for you. They serve you. Well, 
in a black and white world, you'd be correct. But in my world as a leader, my job is to make sure that I give them an environment where they can grow professionally and personally. Because if your work life is out of balance, your family is going to suffer. If your family life is out of balance, your work is going to suffer. So again, it, it, it goes down to living a balanced life. And I do live a very balanced life because I have a very narrow set of values. That's how I measure the success day to day is what are the people around me that I have influence over doing as a reflection of the way I treat them? You mean it's not all about the P&L and the balance sheet? And if you, but if you take care of your people first and enrich their lives, that your balance sheet and your P&L will take care of itself and let you be in business for 30 years? Yes. And you're right. I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell y'all something about men. Okay. Cause we're all men, you know, men are stupid. And the problem is God put his arm around Adam and he says, listen, Adam, I got great news. I'm giving you a brain and a penis. Adam says, that's great. God says, well, hold on a second. I'm only giving you enough blood to run one at a time. Okay. Now that's a crass little example, but the problem in the business world is it's a very linear thought process of the P&L and the balance sheet. And people are looked at not as an asset, they're looked at as a cog in a machine. So the priority shifts from the person to the product. And that's all well and good, but that's, that's, not a, that's not a sustaining policy in my opinion. I work for the people that work in my company. I take an interest in their lives since a very sincere interest in their lives. Because if it wasn't sincere, we could not succeed as a company. And let me tell you something, every one of them overpaid by the industry standard. And that's by design, because I want them to know that I need them, that they're special. And I need to know when I leave the office for two days that everything's gonna go as if I was there. And it does, and probably better when I'm not there. Cause I'm a pain in the ass to them because I'm, I'm a type A and I'm impatient. So for me, I've never had a meeting with my staff and said, this is our goal. We need to build this much this month. Never have I done that, nor will I ever will. Now, do I update them on the health of the company? Of course, because I want them to know, but my job is to make sure that they are nurtured at work, that they have a good work environment. When they need equipment, we don't skimp on equipment. But more importantly, you know, I don't have to ask their permission for anything, but I ask their permission for a lot of things. My, 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 my lead operations guy is 33 years old. He's incredible. I don't make decisions without asking him, even though as an owner, I could. Well, what does that do for him? Number one, he feels empowered, which gives him confidence, which makes him more productive. Number two, he knows that I value him. How, how do you put a price tag on value in another human being? And that's the problem in the business world today. To your point earlier, Logan, we're looking for instant gratification. Make the bottom line as big as you can. But if you ruin the efficiency of the machine, it's not going to sustain itself. And to me, people are the most important asset. And I, I like, I always dovetail it back to raising kids. I, I, I dovetail everything back to raising kids. My kids didn't ask to come into the world. Therefore, it's my job to be a good father. 
my employees didn't know what they were signing up for when they came to work. Therefore, it's, it's my job to give them an environment where they can, where they can excel. So at our little old engineering firm of 11 people, we have great success because the people that don't fit in culturally or intellectually, they don't stay. They get purged. I've never set that in a meeting or, or, or a, a policy manual ever. I set it by example. Hey, I set Roy, it by example. Roy, uh, man, I uh, absolutely love that. We got a, it going right along with that. Uh, we got a question on YouTube for you. So oh, and it goes right YouTube. along with everything that you're talking about. Uh, they want to know how you build your team and what's the criteria for new hires uh, that they must meet to stay on your team? So that's a very interesting question. So <clears throat> I have an engineer in my office. I probably shouldn't say his name because we're on a public forum, but he's a big old six foot seven redneck from Mississippi. And the first day he showed up for work as an intern, he showed up barefooted. I'm like, hey, say, man, where's your shoes? But I don't like wearing shoes. So well, you got to wear shoes. It's an office. Uh, okay. So as he evolved into this incredible professional engineer that he is now, he came up with something one day that I thought was very interesting. He said, to work in our firm, there's three things you got to be able to do. You have to have a good work ethic. You have to culturally be able to get along with the other people. And you have to be intellectually smart enough to keep up with what we do for a living. So the three criteria are work ethic, culture compatibility, and then the intellectual uh, gray matter to be able to, to, to work in the environment that we have at Karuba Engineering, which is a very unique environment for engineering firms because we're not like other firms. We don't sit around all day scratching our asses and think about shit. We get stuff done. Most engineers don't do that. They just love to, think of, they just love to sit around thinking of stuff. So the people, you have to meet all three of those. Otherwise, they just don't stay. So the, as an owner you as an owner have to decide what that work ethic needs to be by living it. You have to decide what kind of culture by living it. And then you got to be smart enough to do the work. Okay. So I've done all those things. I created a culture where people can thrive. We don't dress up. I don't care what you wear to work. Just cover yourself. I don't tell people what time to come in. I don't tell them what time to leave. If they got to go be with their families, I, they never have to ask me, just get your work done. So I empower them to do the right thing. It's a funny thing. When you treat people with respect and kindness and dignity, they're going to respond the way you want them to without ever uttering a word. You have to lead by example. It's not you do as I say, it's do as I do. And you can do it the other way, but then you get what Logan described earlier in the podcast. You get this fucked up culture where it's instant gratification, bad decisions, because the foundation is not there. So I hope that answered your YouTube question. Yeah, man, that was that was awesome. I love what you said, the three things right there. One of the things we teach in leadership is that people fail in their job for one of four things is either you don't give them good expectations, not proper training. And then the other two are attitude and ability. And I love the fact that you said you number go. three was intellect to keep up, right? Yep. We, we love people. We, we People are nice. People are great and high quality, but there's still a certain skill set and ability set that, that is required. And we don't lower that. Man, I love that you keep that as a standard. 
You can't lower it. You just can't. So it all packages up to the same thing I talked about initially. To be an effective leader, you can't just set those standards. You have to live them. And it's a living, breathing thing. So if I don't continue to grow as a man, as a father, as a businessman, as a community leader, then it falls apart at some point. It's just it's just the way it works, in my opinion. Yeah, that, that's the key. The key phrase there is if I don't continue, uh, because you can do all those things for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. But when you stop living it, that culture is going to start to fall apart. Uh, it, it, I see it every day. I continue. Oh, and the other thing you need to do is to tell the truth all the time. And I don't care how painful it is. Bad news, bad news doesn't get better with time. You have to tell, you have to be committed to tell the truth. And I tell the truth so much that it offends people, which is incredible because once you offend them, they put it in their filing system. And I never have to remember it ever again because they're going to keep it forever. I like that. Yeah, you offend them. You know it's in there. That's good. Oh, oh you, you put it in their hard drive. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Hey, I want to I want to ask you a question, man. You said you're you kind of touched a little bit on your raising and then it sounded like somewhere along the path something switched. Some kind of flip switch to where you got very intentional about about your growth. And I'm just curious what was it? Was there an event uh, or was it just a, you know what, I'm changing. I was just curious. I there's, there were two events in my life where I made where I had epiphanies and I made a change. When my second daughter was born and she wouldn't let me hold her because I was so messed up, I went to a therapist that, and the appointment was supposed to last an hour. It lasted two and a half hours. I came out in tears. And at that point, I had an epiphany that I needed to make some changes. I was going to screw my kids up. And that was I was 26 years old. So that was, you know, 31 years ago. The second epiphany I had was in 2009 when the economy went bad. I, I was, I was divorced from my first wife of 22 years, the mother of my kids. And I was in a bad relationship and I just gotten out of that bad relationship. And my uncle who was a wall street guy was with me at dinner with my aunt and my mom and he looked me in the eye, I was 46 years old. And he said, you know what your problem is? You need to learn to say no. And what he was telling me was, your boundaries are so distorted that you can't make a good decision. And that was the second point in my life where I realized that I had to really tighten up my value system and grow to be an effective leader. Because I was, I was cuckoo. I mean, I, the way I ran my company, I had no idea how I made it that long in business without, you know, something really bad happening. It didn't. God loves me. I think when you come from an upset household, God may cut you a little slack until you get your shit together because of what you had to deal with. On the back cover of my book, I actually say that one of the reasons I wrote my book is so my kids wouldn't spend the first half of their adult lives recovering from their childhood like I had to do. So I was a little late to the game of personal growth because of my own internal issues that I had to overcome, which I have, which most people don't, by the way, because it's very painful to, to overcome those childhood issues. It's, 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 
it's in my book, but it's painful. So that was the point about 11, 12 years ago when I really had another epiphany about the next step of growth that I had to commit to, to, to start embarking on that path, which I did. Roy, I've got, I've got a question for you. Um, do you find that um, the events of your childhood um, are an advantage for you today? Because I, I find that um, I operate at a much higher level because it provided me an opportunity to grow faster and younger uh, than a lot of my peers um, and operate with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder now because I know that I didn't have some of the same opportunities. So it's a very interesting point. What I learned in my, th the answer to your question is yes. And I'm going to give you the neuromedical reason for that. When, when you, when you come from an upset childhood, it invokes a lot of different skills. Like I'm very hyper vigilant about certain things because I had to be as a child. And it makes people overachievers sometimes in the business world because of what we went through as children. And for me, that's certainly a point. Now, the bad part is in interpersonal relationships, it, 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 it can be a detriment. So I'm in a wonderful relationship with a wonderful woman, and we've had a couple of ups and downs, mostly because of my own emotional stuff from my childhood that I'm that she's allowed me the grace to continue to deal with. And I'm very grateful for her for that. But yes, it does make you in many ways because you have to grow up faster. You have to learn to be an adult probably quicker than you wanted to. And in the business world, those can all be advantages. In your personal life, it, it, it could be a disadvantage depending on how you, you accept it and handle it. Do you find that you, have, that you hold yourself to, that, that you have trouble with expectations that you set for other people because you hold yourself to such a high standard? Well, I used to until I got help. And that was something I had to work on for years because perfectionism is all about controlling things that you can't control because when you were a child, whatever your situation was, you were out of control. In my case, it was alcoholism and, and abuse which as a child, you have no control of what an adult's gonna say or do to you. So when you get to be an adult, you become a perfectionist and you set unreasonable standards for yourself and for the others around you. I realized that very early on when I was raising my daughters because I didn't wanna do that to them because with girls, it would have been disastrous. With boys too, but girls require certain skill and nurturing from that only a father can give them. And I, I give that to my kids. So you're right. I can, I can probably read between the lines and with four or five questions, I could probably diagnose it with you just from having so much freaking therapy over the years. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I see those things that play with, um, with, I've got, I've got sisters that are younger uh, and I can see these different things that are at play uh, and how things affected us differently based on the ages we were and the genders that we are. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, it's scary. Interesting to see, though, the, the parallels of when you get into the professional world, how it can how some of these things can really be used as an advantage. Um, and then how in the in the personal relationships, um, if you're not paying attention and you're not very intentional, um, it can be detrimental. Uh, you're, you're, it's very wise of you to be able to verbalize that. Most people 
have no clue. Sounds like yeah. it takes a lot of self-awareness, you know, obviously with that. I mean, being a leader, you've got to be a, have a lot of awareness too. Uh, you got any thoughts on self-awareness or kind of what clicked with you with self-awareness there? Yes, I do. Yeah. I started becoming self-aware when I was in my 20s, when my kids were born. I had to start therapy and that opened my eyes to a lot of things. And it, what it does, Corey, it's like a switch going off. Most people live their lives non-self-aware. They just don't. And there's reasons for that because it hides the pain of what they went through as a child in most cases. So it's like a, it's like a fog. They live in a bubble. They we all create bubbles for ourselves to create safety. And when you become self-aware, it all goes back to what I said earlier. It's a painful process of growth. But the minute you become self-aware, you see the world from the inside out, not the outside in. And I'm going to tell you something. I wouldn't go back to being ignorant for all the tea in China because it's a beautiful thing to be self-aware. And I'll tell you a funny little story. When I was really young and arrogant, I used to, I used to say, well, if I, could, if I could just read people's minds, I, I could rule the world, which is arrogant and stupid to say that, right? But let me tell you something. When you become self-aware and you can see things from the inside out, you can see patterns in people in a good way. And when you see those patterns, good or bad, it gives you insight on how to treat that person. So as it relates to the people that work at Karuba Engineering, because I am self-aware, I kind of know what they need before they ask which is a beautiful thing to be able to give that gift to another human because what you're doing is you're validating them and you're giving them empathy, which is the greatest gift you can give every, any human is empathy. So again, back to leadership, part of being effective leadership is knowing how to empathize. So empathy is the ability to understand somebody's position without necessarily agreeing with it. It's not sympathy. Sympathy is dangerous. Empathy to me is a, a gift. And if you're going to be an effective leader, you've got to be empathic. In order to be empathic, you have to be self-aware. In order to be self-aware, you have to be strong enough to embark on, on, on growth. In order to do that, you got to realize you got a problem. And most people don't. Everything's your fault, Corey. And if, if Logan would just do this, everything would be great. How, how many times have you heard that? That's what people do. I love, man, that was a beautiful answer. I love that. And, and, you know, when you were starting to talk about, I know as you're starting to talk about opening up the awareness, it clicked with me too, that, you know, as I've become more self-aware, it's like, um, I, I was thinking I can see the world through almost like different colors, but you described it as seeing it from the inside out, man, that was, that was awesome. I, I love that. And well, look, know, look here, here's, a, here's a more, here's a more rudimentary analogy there's how and there's why. So when you live unaware, everything's how. Why'd you do that? Why'd you? When you live aware, you start to look at why people do things and those superficial conversations go away because you're now operating on a level where you're operating from empathy and you're operating from a, a true desire to learn, not just get an answer that may satisfy you in the moment. 
Yeah, Roy, do you find that uh, when you start to view the world as why not how, uh, you talked earlier about being narrow, um, it's a little bit more difficult to have conversations with people because it almost feels like everybody else is asleep. Um, and, and it's harder to make those deep connections because people want to talk about other people or current events uh, and not ideas and, and kind of the, the why world. Well, that's right. You're very astute to say that because when you start trying to get into those deep conversations, you're knocking on people's pain threshold because you're making them look inside. And that's what most people choose not to do is to look inside because it's painful. And to consequently, I don't have a lot of friends. I don't want a lot of friends. I don't need a lot of friends. But the friendships that I have are very meaningful. And look, I've gotten rid of some friends that have been with me for decades. I, I, I call them friendly divorces because I outgrew. One of my friends is my age. He was dating girls the same age as my daughter. And I said, wait, you, you look like an idiot. I said, what are your kids going to think about you? And it's kind of all the drama with younger women, with the staying out late and the, the, all the stuff that comes from that generational disconnect. And I finally told him one day, I said, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. I'm stepping away. And he got all pissed off and told me, I, you know, because I hit him at his core. So to your point, Logan, yes, it's harder. But if you're if you can get those deep conversations and make that connection, guess what? You're going to be a much better leader because you've now you've reached someone on a level where you can truly show them empathy. And they'll follow you anywhere if they feel heard and validated, in my opinion. Yeah, that, that kind of goes back to that um, book I referenced earlier, Winning by, by Tim Grover. He kind of talks about the mindset that, that Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant have or had for in, in Kobe's uh, instance. But um, when you get a little bit of success, you have an entourage. But when yeah. you become elite – you become lonely because right. people don't want to, people don't want to go along for the ride when they see what it takes to get there. Uh, they don't want to put in that level of work. They don't want to, uh, as you said, deal with that pain or address that pain. Um, kind of, or I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. Oh yeah. Um, and I think a lot of what you've talked about uh, just goes back to resistance people don't want to overcome that resistance. Um, that's why it's like with customers, we want to reduce the level of friction that it takes for them to do business with us because people don't like resistance. Exactly. And that all becomes when you're dealing with customers, being able to empathize with your customer, getting, getting to know them and getting a deep enough connection where something goes wrong, they're not going to fire you. They're going to come talk to you. Because most people won't tell you when something's wrong. They'll just get rid of you and move on because they don't want the hard conversation. And when you live your life from the inside out, you'll know the problems coming before it comes. And you can go be proactive in dealing with your clients, which I've taught the younger people in my office to do. We don't run away from problems. We, we, we hit them head on. It takes, it takes integrity to do that. It takes confidence. It takes courage. And those are all values 
that you have to build. They don't come naturally. Yeah, it's uh, it, Corey's heard this uh, analogy before, but it's the buffalo versus the cow. Yeah. Uh, and how they deal when, when a storm is moving in and uh, in Montana coming over the mountain range, uh, a herd of cows will run away from it. And eventually the storm catches it, catches them and they're running with it. And it takes yeah. longer to get for the storm to, to pass them. They're in the storm for longer. When Buffalo see the storm, they move toward it. Yeah. They move in opposite directions and they get through it quicker and minimize the time that they're in that storm. Um, and that's taking that confrontation head on. Sure. It's the pain of growth. Yeah. So success is like being pregnant. You know, everybody wants to come up and congratulate you, but they have no idea how many times you got fucked to get there. Right. Same thing. <laughs> same thing. It's the same thing. Sorry. You told me I could curse. So <laughs> I um, said, just be you, man. Just be you. I, this, this, this is me. But, but, so to Logan's point, the cow picks the pain of stagnation and the, and the buffalo picks the pain of growth. And the moral of that story is there's no escaping pain in life. You're going to get it one way or the other. And if you don't deal with your issues, they come out sideways in other ways of your life. So if people could just understand that, but they don't because your brain tells you not to understand it. So, Do you think it's lack of understanding or or – something else. Well, <clears throat> I address this in my book. It's very simple. So there's a part of your brain called the cerebral cortex, the rear part of the brain. It's, it's, it's the primitive reptilian part of the brain, fight or flight. It's, it's the part of your brain that says, don't touch that hot stove because you'll burn your hand. If somebody breaks in your house, instinctively, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to jump out of a window. You're going to grab a shotgun and shoot them, fight or flight. So your brain is wired to protect you from danger. It's instinctive. So imagine suffering ch childhood trauma and your brain has now filed away all that pain. So when an event in your adult life comes up that reminds you of trauma in any way, your brain says, hold on, don't go there. Well, how does it do that? The brain says, Hey, Logan, I mean, you got a drinking problem. And Logan says, I don't have a problem. I, I can drink five beers every day and go to work. That's your brain saying, don't go explore the problem. It's going to be painful. No different than the brain telling you not to touch hot, hot, up, hot stove. So it's a very deeply rooted problem in the brain of why people don't readily go toward the storm, in my opinion. Roy, man, that I feel like we could talk for another three hours. I maybe we try to get you back on at some other point too, because uh, we didn't even touch in to. on leadership principles or anything like that. But you've you've given us uh, about an hour, man. I greatly appreciate your time. I have one other question, and then I know Logan's got got something too. I um, I love how you talk about boundaries because that's something I had to learn as well. And I love how you talk about the you got to live a narrow life. And man, I'm I'm all in on that. Say there's somebody listening, and man, they're struggling with that. Maybe they've struggled with their past, and maybe they don't see. Uh, like I don't, I don't have any opportunities or anything like that. And I know you've gone to had, had some, had some help there. Is there just one big nugget or something that you could help them with today? Maybe somebody's listening. Any, any thoughts on that, that would help them get down the right path starting today? I'm going to tell you one thing 
that I know will work in the absence of spending thousands of dollars on therapy. If someone out there is struggling with boundaries, this is what I suggest. Don't laugh. Whatever somebody asks you a question, immediately say no. I don't care what it is. Say no. Discipline yourself to say, hey, would you like to go have a beer? No. You can change your mind five minutes later. But if you just learn to say no and rewire your brain, then there's a boundary that works every single time. And now you've given yourself an option on what you could do. Just say no. I hate to, it sounds like a cliche, but I had to learn that when I was 46 years old. I and I did it. That's powerful. Yeah. Well, Think I, about I, it. goes back to as well. It's, it's a lot easier to say no when you have a really clear vision of where you're trying to go. Uh, because you can say no to the things that detract from that vision and say yes to the things that, that help get you there. Uh, and it sounds like that second epiphany uh, that you had, you have a very clear vision now of who you want to be and where you want to go. Becoming no become, uh, becomes a lot easier. It does. And it also empowers you because when you tell people no, you are giving yourself the ability to make a decision proactively, not reactively. And that is empowering. And that is a self-fulfilling prophecy that's going to literally rewire your brain and help you become more narrow in your values. That tied into my last thing that I was going to say, Corey, is we spent today talking about diagnosing the problem. Maybe next time we can talk about uh, myelin and he may even reference that in the, in the book and how we can rewire uh, our brains to kind of address some of these issues. We can definitely talk about that. I'd like to leave you with one more thought. One of the things that always drove me in my life when I was really dysfunctional and knew I was dysfunctional and knew I needed help was every single decision I made, I would pretend like my daughters were sitting next to me and I would ask myself, would my kids be proud of me right now? That very innocently guided me until I knew why I needed to do what I needed to do. That was my how. Will Stacy and Robin be proud of me right now if I do this? And if the answer was ever no, I didn't do it. I didn't know why I didn't do it, but I didn't do it. It's a wonderfully pure thought when you think about that. The innocence of a child and how they can guide us in our lives to be better men. Roy, that, I love that. I think that's very powerful. Hey, I would love to have you back on and discuss more. I feel like there's a ton left on the table, but we want to make sure you guys, if you're listening, uh, check out his book. Uh, I think that's going to be great. I've got it. I look forward to digging into it. The title of it, again, is No Trees in the Fairway. And you can get that on Amazon or wherever you buy your books at there. Hey, Roy, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, if uh, if they needed to contact you or anything like that, where could they follow you at? Or what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, probably the best way is old school, just to call my office, 504-888-1490. And we have a pretty decent defense system for strange phone calls. So whoever should call, tell them I said to call from the podcast so Farrah and Sheree don't hang up on you. And then I'm happy I like to, that. 
And we got to have those gatekeepers in place. No weirdos calling Roy, all right? Yeah, narrow, narrow, yeah. narrow. Don't be bugging him. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Probably one of my curses in life is being long-winded. If I usurp the time with non-leadership things, I'm sorry. I'd love to come back. That certainly wasn't a manipulation to come back, but I'm, I apologize. No, dude, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. Hey, make sure to check out Roy, check out his book. Uh, make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on any time we, we post our podcast. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe. I hope you guys have a great day and God bless. Thanks so thank much for both. spending your time with us today. As you go about your day, remember to ask yourself as a parent, child, sibling, business owner, customer, boss, teammate, Would you recommend yourself, audit yourself, and change your life? Hey, guys, and if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, take a moment. Please subscribe. Give us a rate and review on your listening platform. And, hey, we value your feedback, and it helps others find us. Are you ready for this?